Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton Thompson. If you want to create change in any area of your life, you're in the right place. Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported more than 3,000 women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. Together, we'll break your past patterns and eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. I hope that you are having a great day so far. Really looking forward to diving into some things that you guys asked about today. Some mom stuff, which I'm not an expert in momming. It's funny, I follow somebody on Instagram and I always, somebody I should totally unfollow because following them doesn't make me feel good, doesn't inspire me or, you know, make me a better person. But uh, this particular person recently put up a question box. You know how you can say like, do you have any questions, any topics? I do that every once in a while. And she said, you know, these are the areas of my expertise. And I got a chuckle out of it because um, basically everything was there. Uh, Like this person is a new mom um, and relatively newly married and put uh, expertise in parenting. uh, And that's not her career. And uh, her baby's less than one. (laughs) <laughs> and their career is not in marriage either and expertise in, in marriage as well as, you know, basically everything. Home caretaking, um, home organization, literally everything. Food, fitness. I was like, expertise, huh? Hmm. Anyway, I, I throw that out there because I am not so liberal with uh, calling myself an expert. So I am not an expert on momming, but uh, do have some thoughts on the question that came in around that and uh, questions around grief. Totally not an expert in grief, just just a client, (laughs) just a practitioner. Um, But I do think it's really important to talk about. And then uh, somebody also asked a question about how I got started in real estate investing and what people should look at if they're looking to get into that. So we'll touch on that as well, even though, hey, today is just all things I am not an expert in. Not an expert in real estate investing, though I am a real estate investor. Um, So yeah, we are going to do that. I'm going to give away my, probably my top two favorite supplements today. We are still doing that two giveaway thing on Saturdays this month, just to be in the holiday spirit. Oh, you know what I want to do too? I'm going to make myself a note so that I don't forget um, my holiday tradition that I wanted to tell you guys about in case any of you want to join me in it because I know a lot of you are joining me in the decluttering thing we're doing in the Facebook group. Um, Two of my, like easily in my top three, two of my top three supplements that are my favorites, Mood Plus, Relief Plus, that's what I'm going to give away today, Relief Plus, all-natural anti-inflammatory, and um, Mood Plus is an adaptogen blend that really helps with regulating your body's stress response. I'll announce the winner at the end of the show. All you have to do to be eligible to win is leave a review of the podcast. Um, So this coming week, my family is going to participate in 
what I adopted as a holiday tradition, I want to say two years ago. So I think this will be year three, but don't quote me on that. Um, I initially heard of sort of a similar idea from Shalene Johnson a few years back, and we sort of have made it our own and probably simplified it a little bit because life's a little crazy. But what I do is I get a handful of cards. I think last year I did five. You can do it any way that you'd like. And um, write a little holiday message in the card and then put some cash in the card and carry the cards around with you for you know a few days a week till you feel that it's the right moment you find somebody to give the card to with the cash. You can do any amount. You can do a $10 bill. You can do a $5 bill. You, I usually do hundreds because, um, again, I'm not giving them to a lot of people. But uh, it's really fun. I remember last year we were at a gas station. Um, I think I did two of my five at gas stations last year. And I don't stick around to watch them open it. It's just, you know, here, wanted to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever. And I did happen to see one of the people open it because there was a window as I was walking back out to my car. And just the look on her face, I, I can, st- I mean, it was a year ago, and it still really sticks with me. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. And I really look forward to as my kids get older and can understand it and appreciate it and participate in it and contribute to it. I'm just really excited about that. So that's something that we'll be doing this coming week. I'm putting together the envelopes and, you know, it could be somebody who's working at a grocery store or as I said, at a gas station. Um, It could be a random person that's just walking by your house. I don't know. But I, you know, without stereotyping, you just get, you just get a feeling, at least I, in, you know, the few years I've done this. Um, get a gut feeling about who would appreciate it. And if you're called to do something like that, again, it doesn't have to be a hundred bucks a person. It could be five bucks, could be 10 bucks, could be 15 bucks, could not even be money. It could just be a card. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, and don't quote me on this, if I'm remembering what was originally shared that inspired this idea that I had heard from um, Shalene Johnson's show, she writes like a a long card, like a note, uh, a note of encouragement. I don't write anything long. I just write, you know, a couple sentences, but you could do a note of encouragement and no money at all. And I'm sure that would be super meaningful to whoever gets it. So if you're feeling inspired and you're looking for a holiday tradition, um, that's one of ours. Another one of ours, since we're on that topic, I'm just being random here. Um, I think I've told this one before, but this one we also started a few years ago. I ordered a bunch of basically like blank ornaments. They're just like tree rounds. So imagine if you have like a a branch and you cut it in thin discs. It's like that. And every year we write Christmas 2022 and Chris and I write our top two or three memories of that year. We usually do our ornament on Thanksgiving because we um, put up our tree usually the weekend after Thanksgiving. Even if you don't celebrate Christmas or you're not into ornaments, it's a cool way to reflect back. Because if I think now like, huh, what interesting thing happened in 2003? I don't know. I got nothing. So I'm excited, you know, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the line to look back on these. And our kids will have these that we did. And I'm looking forward to when Roman can say that his three memories were X, Y, and Z and Charlie and Piper and all of that. So that's another one. Anyway, random. 
totally switching gears. The first question that came in I want to address today says, how do you deal with grief now? And what are some important things for those who are going through grief to remember? Again, I'm not an expert on grief. For those of you who don't know, um, my firstborn daughter died unexpectedly in 2020. And um, I still very much deal with it. It's funny because Roman will see pictures of Dagny and say, Piper, Charlie, um, because they look very, very much alike. But he knows that the one that's the background of my phone, my lock screen on my phone is Dagny. And he'll say, Daggy, Daggy. So as I see, especially with the girls, they look a lot like her. And, you know, they've reached milestones that Dagny didn't get to. And um, it's tough. It's tough. I would say, and I, and I wrote an entire book about this, guys. It's not a book I talk about a lot because it's just, you know, I don't know. I don't talk about chasing cupcakes that much either, I suppose. Um, tools for the trenches. And it's not just about, like, death. It's just hardship of any kind and tools for seeing yourself through without totally abandoning yourself in very hard times. So Tools for the Trenches, if you haven't read it, now really kind of goes into a whole lot more detail on how I navigate grief and um, tools that were really helpful to me at that time. How I deal with it now is probably also what I would encourage people to remember who are going through grief. I personally remind myself very often to let my grief be as big and as present as it needs to be. What I mean by that is, I think in past times in my life, so um, my stepdad died in a car accident when I was in college, um, and he more or less raised me. He was certainly the father figure in my life. And grief was very uncomfortable for me, and sadness was very uncomfortable for me. So I would try to like distract myself or think about something else. And I think there was a lot of encouragement around that too. And I see it. There's still a lot of encouragement about that. Like think of the good times. He's in a better place. And so many people said that to me when Dagny died, like there's good that's going to come of this and you're going to use this. And, and everybody is different. And I'm sure there are people out there who find that very helpful. I don't at all. And I think that it encourages people to think that there's something wrong with being really sad because you're telling them that they need to put a spin on it or look at the bright side. And at least for me, I'm not trying to do that. Sure, there are times when I can see those things organically but I'm not trying to put a spin on the death of a child or anything that is uncomfortable. I want that pain to be as big and as present as it needs to be. If that means that I cry, that I sob, that I scream, that I wail, that I'm angry, good. That is welcome here. My personal perspective as not an expert on grief at all, not claiming to be that, this is just my opinion from my experiences, I think that when you try to like distract yourself from it or push it down and think of something else and focus on the good, it's just 
is going to explode at some point. It's going to come out in some other way. And for some people, that's alcohol. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's depression. And I want to experience it. You know, you, you can't dodge grief. You can avoid it, but it's going to manifest in some way. So as uncomfortable as it is, and, and it's probably more uncomfortable for the people around me than it is for me. Don't get me wrong. I don't love feeling sad or unhappy or any of those things, but I know at least in my home, it is extremely uncomfortable for my husband when I am very sad and mourning. That is very uncomfortable. And so I have noticed a tendency to shove it down to make him more comfortable. And I practice being like, no, no, nope, this, this is our life. This is a part of our experience and I'm not going to put it away, push it down, try to distract myself, try to spin it to make anybody, including myself, more comfortable. I'm just not. I'm going to fully experience it because I believe that that is necessary. I believe that that is healthy. And I also believe, and I think there's a lot of science to back it up, that when we repress these things, when we don't deal with them, that the negative emotion we store in our bodies absolutely is a factor in the progression of disease. It can literally make you sick. It can kill you. So let it be as big as it needs to be. The caveat to that is that it doesn't mean that you lay on the couch all day and watch Netflix and you eat whatever you want to eat because that's the that's letting the pain be here. That's not what it means, right? Letting it be as big as it needs to be is about how you feel. It's not about your actions, right? It's not a hall pass to say, so you can be rude to everybody, so you can lash out in anger, so you can speak this way or not do these things or eat these things. No, it's not about your actions. It's about the processing of your feelings. The way that I describe this in Tools for the Trenches is that the feeling can ride with me, but it can't drive. So learning to separate how I feel from what I do, how I behave, my actions and choices, that is a critical part for me of grieving in a healthy way. The other thing about, you know, grief is it will always be there, but it will look different in different seasons. And I don't think it's as simple as saying time heals because I have recently felt that I grieve Dagny more now and I replay scenarios with her now more than I did uh, six months ago. And I know that there will be seasons of that. There's also times of the year, right? Around the time, like this time that I'm recording this, I was just saying to my cousin the other day, like three years ago at this time, we were both pregnant. We were expecting our first babies, both girls. It was the happiest Christmas of my life. You know, I, I was changed profoundly by the death of my daughter. And even though there's been a lot of joy since and having Roman was a huge joy and having the twins, though that was, you know, kind of a nightmare at first, there's been a lot of joy in that. I don't know if I'll ever be as happy as I was before I knew the loss of a child. 
but I don't know. And I'm not trying to figure that out, right? I don't need to have the answer of if I will or if I won't. Um, but all that to say that it's not a linear process. It looks different and it feels different. But the reason I brought that up is to say it does change. So when I was, like when, when Dagny first died, the intensity of that and how it was all encompassing in every cell of my body, every second of the day. I say that because at that time, I probably could have used the reminder that it won't feel that way, which is not the same to say, it's not saying it gets easier or it'll get better, right? Because I think to say that to somebody, I don't know, it wouldn't have helped me then, it doesn't help me now, but it will not always feel this way. It could feel worse, right? It could feel better. It'll probably be a little bit of both, but it won't always feel like it feels right now. And I think there are a lot of people that just need to hear that, even if it's not about death, like whatever it is that you're feeling right now, it's not always going to feel that way. So, and then the other thing is tell people what is helpful and not helpful. One of the things I wish that I was better at in the say first year after Dagny died, I wish I was better at being direct when things weren't helpful. What I did was I got mad on the inside and I would often vent to my husband like this person said this and this person said this and this person hurt me. And in a lot of cases, I wish, I think it would have been healthier for me to have those conversations directly like, hey, I think you're really trying to be supportive. But, you know, in case this comes up again, that hurts me because X, Y, Z, or it would be better for me if you could not say that, or if you could do this, if you could not do that, but instead do this, like don't, people want to know what is helpful and not helpful. I think for myself at the time, I didn't want to make somebody else feel bad by saying like, hey, that hurt me, you know, but the reality is they want to know because they're already in a position where they don't really know what to say or what not to say. So don't be afraid to speak up. There is a very um, gracious way to say that. You know, it doesn't have to be like, F you, you hurt my feelings, but rather like, hey, you know, I'm, I want to be really open about the things that are helping me and the things that aren't helping me. And I'm sure that it's probably in the way that I interpreted it and the sensitivity of, of where I'm at right now. But when you said this or when you did this, it just made me feel, and then tell them how it made you feel. People want to know. Since Dagny died, we've had some friends that have gone through some things. And one thing that I have made a real point to say is, I want you to know that if I say something that doesn't land right, it's totally okay for you to tell me. I want you to tell me because everybody grieves so differently. And if I say something that in any way is not what you wanted to hear or hope to hear or want to hear again, you please, I'm asking you just say like, mm, wrong thing. You know, you can say it lightheartedly. You can say it harshly. However it is, I want you to tell me. I think most people feel that way, you know, so, so put that out there. Um, and then if you have people that you can tell what you need to, you know, like for me, that was my sister and my mom. Um, 
there were a lot of other people that I probably wouldn't have said like, I need this or I don't need this. Um, but if you have those people, don't be afraid to tell them what you want and need and what would be helpful. Because again, they're probably feeling really helpless and they'd probably be very grateful. Not everybody, but you know, when you have those people that you can be that honest with. So those are my thoughts. Ask me in five years, I'll probably have different thoughts. This next one was really interesting and it's about being a mom. And so there's that caveat again, not an expert on momming at all, at all, probably never will be. But somebody asked, can you talk about not feeling like a real mom because you've had a C-section or adopted or fostered or had a blended marriage, et cetera? And I kind of feel like, no, not really. I can't talk about it because I don't really relate to that. Um, Obviously, I haven't adopted or fostered at this point in my life, but I do have a stepdaughter. Uh, I don't, it doesn't come up here a lot on the show, but my husband has a daughter from a previous relationship. She's 13. Um, So I'm a stepmom. And of my own four kids, C-sections for all of them. And I've never had a moment of not feeling like a real mom because my kids were born via C-section. Like it's never even crossed my mind. The first time it crossed my mind was when I got this question. Um, So if somebody out there is not feeling like a real mom because they had a C-section, I don't have anything for you. I, I, no, no thoughts on that whatsoever because like I just, how your baby comes to be. I don't think that has anything to do with being a mom. Um, In terms of the adoption and fostering, I can't speak on because I haven't had that experience. So it just wouldn't be right. In terms of stepchildren, though, I think it's different for everybody. I'm sure it's different for everybody because we all think about things differently and our situations are different, right? If you have a stepchild who lives with you full time, that's probably going to feel different than if you have a stepchild that doesn't live with you full time, which is the situation with me. Um, My stepdaughter doesn't live with us. She lives out of state. And I think it probably matters when the kid came into your life, right? Have they been in your life since they were a baby or did they come into your life as a teenager? That probably feels really different. All I can say is how I feel about it. Uh, I'm not my stepdaughter's mom, right? I'm I'm not. I don't want to feel like I am. I don't feel bad that I feel like I'm not. I'm, I'm not her mom. She has a mom. Um, you know, I'm her dad's wife, and I'm excited to have that relationship that is unique and just to be another person to love her, another person to care about her, another person to influence her, hopefully in a positive way, Um but I'm not a mom. And I had stepsisters growing up. So my mom had two stepdaughters in addition to me and my sister, who are our biological kids. And, um, you know, I, I, I know that it was different. Uh, and my stepsister didn't live with us full time. So I'm sure that's a factor. But I also know step parents out there who very much feel like they are mom or dad. And I think that's cool. But I can't speak to that because that's not my situation. So sorry that I don't have much to say other than my babies were all born via C-section. As much as I didn't want it to be that way from a 
from a healing perspective, but it's never occurred to me that I'm any less of a mom or I've never not felt like a real mom. Very much a real mom. C-sections and all. Okay. This last question is about how I got started in real estate investing. Uh, For a first property, what should be considered? So I first got started um, as an adult. I lived in North Carolina for, I think, like 13, 14 years. I was previously married and uh, lived with my my first husband in the Carolinas. And when we divorced, I moved back up to New England, which is where I'm from. And I lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is one of my favorite New England towns. It's an amazing place. And I didn't really know what I was doing or if I was going to stay there or where I was going to go. So I was renting. And then uh, I moved to a different state in New England because I wanted to go to a particular CrossFit gym, which I know sounds crazy, but it's true. And then uh, after that was when I built the tiny house and I lived, I moved to the Cape where Chris is from. So I was in the tiny house and I wanted property, but I wasn't going to live in it because I had the tiny house, right? And I loved Portsmouth. Not only is it a really fun, young city, but it also is an area where there's population growth and income growth. So when I got the opportunity to, you know, just start looking at what was available, I thought it was a great place to buy because I knew that I wouldn't have any trouble finding tenants there. So you have to kind of know the rental market if you are planning on renting it out. Um, And, you know, with real estate investing, probably going to be the case unless you're doing like flip and resell. But even then, then you have to kind of know the the market environment there. So I wanted to make sure that there was a high demand for rentals. And then I was looking at what could I get for rent. And where I think a lot of people go really wrong is they are not careful enough with the math, right? They're going to go, okay, so my mortgage and insurance payments are this and I could get this in rent. So, hey, look, I'm getting an extra three or $400 a month. But then when you factor in, well, I'm going to have to find a way to clear snow out for these people uh, and the I need to put money aside in case the roof leaks or the furnace breaks and I'm probably going to have at least a month of vacancy every once in a while, I have to factor that in. And oh yeah, taxes, I have to factor that in. And if I'm going to pay a property manager, I have to factor that in. Or oh no, I'm going to save the 10% on a property manager, I'm going to do it myself. Well, then I have to factor in the fact that, you know, when their doorknob breaks, I've got to drive there, buy a doorknob, replace the doorknob. All of those things come into play. And uh, I think a lot of people just don't really do the math carefully enough to make sure that it's going to be profitable for them. So what should be considered in in a first property, um, the area? Do you want it to be local to you? If it's not going to be local to you, what are you going to do about property management? Either way, what is the income in that in that area? Is it growing? Is it declining? Is the population growing or is the population declining? What does the rental market look like if you're going to be um, having it up for rent? One, One easy thing to do is to like go online and see 
how many rentals are available right now. If there's like, you know, if it's a small area and there's lots of rentals in your price range, well, people have got options. If you go and you look and there's like nothing available for rent, talk to some people from there. Is everybody looking for a place to live? Um, Those kinds of questions are the big ones. And then, of course, the financial considerations. But listen to a podcast like Bigger Pockets. It's a really, really great podcast for anybody who's interested in real estate investing. Bigger Pockets. They also have a ton of books. So uh, I totally endorse any of the books that they've put out on on real estate investing, anything by Bigger Pockets uh, and the Bigger Pockets podcast. Super fantastic resources. So, all right, that's that. Everything, momming, griefing, holiday traditions, being generous to strangers, real estate, you name it. Okay, giving away Mood Plus and Relief Plus today. Our lucky winner is Cassie Anderson. Cassie Anderson, shoot me an email. Elizabeth at primalpotential.com. Tell me you were the winner for 1046. Make sure you send the email within 60 days of the day that this episode airs. And of course, include your mailing address so that I can ship it to you no matter where in the world you live. You can win if you leave a review of the show on whatever app you listen. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, make sure to take a few seconds to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. It not only supports the show in a huge way, but it also automatically enters you into our weekly product giveaway. For more tools, tips, and strategies on creating change, check out my first book, Chasing Cupcakes, and follow me on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. Remember, every choice is a chance, and I'll see you next time.